You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. In a message I'm entitling Saints and Sinners. And as you're looking at the title, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, I'm in, I'm in the title. And that's true. You know who you are. And by the way, we're going to have some fun this morning. Let me pray for you and your, and your leadership in your church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that there are three things that we need to be good witnesses. We have to have a knowledge of the facts. We have to have a reputation for honesty, and we have to be willing to tell the truth. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for the witness and the testimony of the pastor, his wife, and this church in the community and in the state of Colorado and all around the world. Lord, we pray that you would use its leaders and members to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. Lord, we pray that they would be faithful to you and faithful to the gospel because they know the truth that Jesus is in the business of saving sinners. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir up in our hearts a love for you and a love for your word. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You're in the title. Sometime saint, maybe longtime sinner. And the Bible's sharp divisions include the godly 
and the ungodly. I told first service that I grew up in a world, my grandfather and father were from the island of Sicily. So I was taught from a very early age that there's two kinds of people in the world, Italian people and people who wish they were. But there really aren't two kinds or types of people in that sense. But according to the Bible, there really are two kinds of people. Saints and sinners, the godly and the ungodly. In this passage, there are two men or women, two ways, two destinies. In this psalm are two sharp descriptions. One is what the saint loves in verses 1 through 3. And what the sinner sincerely and successfully manages to embrace in verses 4 through 6. If you'll remember, psalms are Hebrew poems. They were meant to be sung. And of course, there was only one thing that kept me from being a famous musician. I have no talent whatsoever. But there are Geraces that can sing pretty well. My distant cousin, Sonny Geraci, uh, had a band called The Outsiders. And in, in the 1970s, he, he sang a song, Precious and few are the moments we two can share. Silent and blue like the sky, I'm hung over you. Some of you are old enough to remember that. The psalm is meant to be sung. And if you're trained as a musician, you might know and you might be familiar with what's called the middle C. If you sang do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. The middle C in music, you can go up the scale or you can go down the scale and this psalm like songs that you've heard begins on a high note and ends on a low note and the psalm begins in the Hebrew language with the word blessed and in the original language the word is plural rather than singular we could translate the opening word Oh, how abundant is the happiness, or oh, the blessedness of the man. Or we could even translate this, oh, the multiplied happiness of the man. So the godly man, the godly woman, doesn't just simply experience the drip, drip, of occasional blessing, but according to the psalmist can be expected to experience the gush of blessing, experience the torrential flood, not only of God's grace and mercy, but as of his goodness and blessings. And there are blessings for those who walk with God. And then the psalmist says there are warnings for those who walk away from God. So in poetic language, the psalmist describes three aspects or three degrees of the person who departs from God and conforms with this world. We conform to this world when we accept its advice. We conform to this world when we become willing participants in its ways. We conform to this world when we adopt this world's false 
and fatal attitudes, its contempt for God's revelation, its, its disdain for God's word in verse 1. So it's the law of the Lord in verse 2 that serves as both a defense and an offense against the wicked who counsel the saint to walk away from God's plan. And probably all of you might have a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a family member, a friend who suggests that maybe the Bible isn't true and that Jesus isn't the Lord and, and that that how can you be certain of whether or not you can trust the, the Bible or the God of the Bible? It begins with the word blessed and the song ends with the word perish. And so the psalmist is singing a song about two men, a saint and a sinner. It's a song about two paths the road to glory or the fool's highway. Two destinies. One is with God and the other is absent, both the revelation of God and the word of God. It is without the God of the Bible. And so we begin with the saint's path. Look again at verse one. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He begins, the psalmist begins, not with the power of positive thinking, but with the power of saying no. The person who is blessed, who is marked by God as blessed, is described as, at least in the beginning, not by what they can do, but what they can't do, by what they won't do. In the popular culture, we're trained to say yes. My father had a number of interesting businesses when I was growing up. He, ha he worked in a, in a casino for a while. He worked in a, 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 a very famous bar on Bourbon Street in, in New Orleans. He had a car lot and he sold cars. And if you've ever been to a car lot back in the 60s and the 70s, it was kind of seedy. And, and they would often say stuff like, what will it take for you to buy this car from me today? And I said, if you can solve world hunger and completely eliminate the threat of nuclear anni annihilation, I'll buy this car from you today. And they would look confused and puzzled and go, no, 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 really. And I would say, no, no, really, I'm, I'm not going to buy the car. The reason why I bring this up is sometimes it's okay to say no. The psalmist is singing a song of separation. The person who's blessed, the person who's happy makes the conscious decision that they're going to ignore the counsel of the ungodly. And if you listen to television, if you listen to the radio, if you read certain books or you attend certain institutions, there is a growing chorus of voices that tell you that you don't necessarily need to trust God or the Bible. So the psalm is using poetic language to warn the saint not to participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, 
we don't want to participate in the sinner's activities. We might think of this verse in simple but very dramatic terms. Number one, you have no reason to listen to the ungodly. Number two, you have no reason to linger with sinful people. And number three, you have no reason to lounge or sit in the seat of the scornful. So that word, counsel, way, seat, or assembly, or dwelling, are serving as metaphors for the way we think, for the way we behave, for the way we belong. So what does all of this mean? The ungodly embrace ungodly advice. The sinner has his way, and the scornful have their seat. We might think of this seat like a pillow. Not like my pillow, you know, like, you know, the guy from my pillow. That's not what we're talking about here. In the ancient world, in the Hebrew language, the chair or the seat has more to do with your attitude and worldview. It's the way you think about things. It's the way you think and then act. So in the ancient world, this seated place became a metaphor for the settled place. The seated place was the settled place, the place where you live and act and think. There's several people, as you can imagine, maybe you grew up in a world where a person said, I grew up and then fill in the blank. I was born a Catholic. I was raised a Catholic. I'm going to die a Catholic. I was born Irish, raised Irish. I'm going to die Irish or whatever. Whatever you were, however you were brought up, you were thinking, this is how I was brought up to think and act. The scornful are those who hold biblical truth in revelation, in contempt or disdain or derision. So the scornful are the people who have already made up their mind about the Bible and the revelation that's in the Bible. And don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to have questions about God or questions about Jesus or questions about the Bible. Matter of fact, I have devoted my life to answering people's Bible questions. I happen, one of the great privileges of my life has been not only to be a chaplain for several law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, but one of the great privileges is to be on the board of directors for gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org is the largest Bible answer ministry in the world. From January to September, we got 85 million hits at our web website. Do you realize that on, on the question, how do I receive Christ as my savior? How do I get saved? How do I repent of my sin and trust Jesus? They're clicking on the button 15,000 times per month. Is it possible that you can read the gospel and believe it? I think that the answer is yes. 
But the scornful, the scornful are those people who have already made up their mind about God, about the fall, about redemption and reconciliation. They've made up their mind that they, they doubt whether or not the Bible is really true. The famous patriot Thomas Paine was well known for sitting in the seat of the scornful. He wrote, and I quote, as to the book called the Bible, it's a blasphemy to call it the word of God. It is a book of lies and contradictions and a history of bad times and bad men. There are but a few good characters in the whole book, unquote. Have you already made up your mind? about the Bible, about Jesus, about heaven, about hell? Have you already made up your mind about the Bible and its content? But contrast that with the saints' satisfaction with God's word in verses two and three. In verse two, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. So the contrast between the sinner and the saint is that the saint's delight is in the law of the Lord. And here when David is singing this song and writing these words, he's making reference to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He's, he's, he's making a blanket statement of the corporate revelation that has been given. So this is the word of God. It is the word of God that guides and counsels the saint. So the saint has, you should notice, a different guide, a different counselor than the wicked. The wicked are listening to what the world has to say. So the biblical meaning of meditation is different from what our popular culture or Eastern mysticism or transcendental meditation offers. For the ungodly, they desire to empty their mind. But the saint fills her mind, fills his mind with the word of God. The, the psalmist doesn't disengage the mind but engages the mind so that he or she can hear from God one of my mentors Norm Geisler who wrote a very famous systematic theology and taught theology he said I am willing to be open-minded but I'm not willing to be empty-minded we as Christians are willing to be open-minded but we're not going to take our brain and then empty it out so that it can be filled with garbage. Years ago, John Phillips offered this picture. He said, we come into God's presence, our open Bible in hand, and we say, speak, Lord, your servant heareth. Then we read the Bible in a methodical, meaningful, meditating way, seeking to understand and appropriate its truths. We ask the following questions, for instance, when pondering the sacred page. Is there any sin here for me to avoid? Is there any promise for me to claim? Is there any victory to gain? Is there any blessing to enjoy? Is there any truth that I've never seen before about God, about 
Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about man, about sin. What's the main thing I can learn here? That's meditation, unquote. And that's exactly right. The Bible is God's word. One old saint offered this advice. He said, quote, when you meditate, imagine that Jesus Christ in person is about to talk to you about the most important thing in the world. Give him your complete attention, unquote. You do that from time to time. If you're sitting across from someone that hopefully you respect or perhaps even admire, and they're going to talk about something that they're famous for, you would think that you would pay attention. But guess what? That's exactly what happens every time you open up your Bible. It is the Lord speaking to you from the pages. And so, it begs a question. Do you delight in God's word? What does that mean? What does it mean to delight in the word? I'm going to suggest to you that the idea in this psalm isn't simply reading the Bible or even understanding the Bible. If you go to this church, your pastor encourages you to read your Bible. And clearly, the pastor and the leaders are here to help you understand what it is that you're reading. But clearly, they also encourage you to obey it, to believe it. So you're reading it, you're understanding it, you're believing it. And so the psalmist is saying that obedience brings blessing in verse 1. And disobedience brings ruin in verse 6. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon called the prince of preachers who wrote, quote, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with years. This next year, I'll be celebrating my 50th anniversary as a Christian. I became a Christian, can you believe it, almost 50 years ago. Over the years, I've gathered not 1,000 or 2,000, more like 3,000, 4,000, and 5,000 books. I love reading. I love almost everything. I'm curious about everything. And I want to know. But can you believe it? having been a Christian for 50 years, having been a pastor for many of those years, having taught through the Bible not just once, not just twice, not just three times, I still don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. To this day, there are things that when it opens up, thrills me. In verse 3, it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The saint, follow along, the saint is separated 
from both sin and sinner. But you don't just simply separate from sin and sinner. You separate to God and his word. So the person who says, I'm going to walk away. That's not going to be my life anymore. I'm going to attach to God and and God's word. You become like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In the Bible, it uses that expression in a number of different ways. When water is used for cleansing... It speaks of the word of God. When water is used as a metaphor for drinking, it often means the spirit of God. Jesus in the New Testament, he talks about those who who receive the Lord and his spirit out of their innermost being will come torrents and floods of living water. So what's happening in the text? Again, let's connect the dots. We separate from sin and sinner. We reflect and meditate on God's word. As we are reflecting and meditating on God's word, God's Holy Spirit is in our life for refreshment and nurture and maturation. So there are several things that the psalmist notes that that I want you to think about, that I want you to consider, that I want you to think and consider and then maybe think about expanding in your own life. The first deals with prominence. He shall be like a tree. You have to understand that in the ancient world, particularly in the deserts of Judea, trees are few and far between. Yes, there are hills. Yes, there are forests in Lebanon. But like Colorado, imagine you go east and you continue to go east on I-70. And the further you go east, the less trees that there are till pretty soon you're in a field of sunflowers and you notice that there's a tree here and a tree there. And you go, oh, look, a tree. It's an event by virtue of the fact that it's prominent. The second is permanence. He's like a tree planted. In the New Testament, we discover that the grass grows and the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. There are trees that aren't just decades old, they're centuries old. There are trees that are thousands of years old. Don't let my youthful appearance fool you. I'm old too. Not as old as some trees. Do you know how you know when you're old? It's when you look in the mirror and you look exactly like your parents. That means you've crossed the line. Listen to what the the psalmist is saying. We separate from sin. We, we, sep- we separate ourselves to God and God's word. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we bring forth fruit. That speaks of productivity. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. 
We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. The tree brings forth fruit in its season. And it, it seems to be that some seasons are more fruitful than others. We know that we live in times where we need rest sometimes. We need times for reflection and growth. For those of you who are even only briefly familiar with the soil, you know that sometimes you have to cultivate the soil and sometimes you have to plant the seed and sometimes you harvest the seed. My wife has the proverbial green thumb. She can put stuff in the ground and it will grow. There seems to be a lasting legacy for the saint. Look what the text says. His leaf also shall not wither. You know, in my study, when I'm preparing for things like this, there are trees outside of my study. And in springtime, the leaves bud. In summer, they expand. In fall, they turn colors and then fall from their branches. But in Colorado, we have a kind of a tree called an evergreen. Some of you are familiar with it. The pine needle is immune to the seasons. There are certain trees that it doesn't matter if it's spring or fall or winter. They remain evergreen. D.L. Moody put it that way. He said, the Lord's trees are evergreen. In other words, does that mean that there aren't seasons in our life? Of course there are. But there is this opportunity for us to be both attached from or detached from sin and attached to the Lord so that you can read the text. And whatsoever he does shall prosper in dry seasons, in difficult seasons, in prosperous seasons. We have our ministry, we have our family, we have our business, we have our friendships. So why does the saint prosper? I want you to just think about that for just a moment. The saint is prospering because They've, attached, they've detached from sin and sinners. They've attached to friendship and fellowship and service with the Lord. And by the way, don't confuse spirit-directed service with self-directed service. The saints' blessings are now going to be contrasted with the sinner's sad lot. Look at verse 4, the sinner's portion. The ungodly are not so but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So in our text and in our song, who do you suppose the ungodly are? How do we define that world, word? How, how should we think about that word ungodly? Well, I'm gonna suggest to you that in the broadest sense of the word, 
It means those who live their lives and they leave God out of their lives. It becomes a description maybe of you at some point in your life. Do you remember when you used to get up in the morning and not think about God at all and go throughout your day and not think about God at all and, and go to bed at night and not think about God at all? Now, I'm not suggesting that the ungodly never thinks about God. What I am suggesting to you is that the ungodly, through distraction, through entertainment, through any number of things, through listening to the voices of the world in which they live, find a way not to just think about God. The sinner doesn't merely forget God. The sinner has done something way worse. The sinner has fallen into the false idea that that the voices that are whispering in his or her ear that the sinful life is really the good life. So the ungodly do both. In other words, they forget about God and then they live their life as if, as if the good life is believing the repeated lies of the bombastic culture, the educational establishment, the popular media, which keeps saying over and over and over again that true happiness, true satisfaction comes from possessions. It comes from passion. It comes from power. And if I have enough possessions, if I have enough pleasure, then I'll be fine. And what about the saint? The saints possess the word of God, are passionate about the word of God, and rely on the power of God to lead, guide, direct, satisfy the saint it is the revelation of God that commands our attention it is the person of Jesus Christ the word of God made flesh we listen to godly advice we separate from sin we're fruitful and helpful we're prominent and permanent and prosperous but look what the psalmist says the ungodly are not so not so much. And so in that contrast between the ungodly and the righteous, the righteous love God's word. And I wanna, I wanna be careful here. I wanna remind you of what the Bible means when it uses the term righteous. It's using the term in the sense of having a right relationship with God. The righteous are those people who are accepted by God and on what basis according to the Bible is a person accepted by God and it isn't because they're good or decent human beings righteousness has always been by grace through faith and blood and sacrifice in other words those who are right with God are those that God has made right. And so the saint searches the scriptures day and night, reflecting on its content, 
The ungodly, not so much. The ungodly aren't rooted, aren't grounded, aren't stable. They aren't fruitful or enduring or prosperous. And look what the text says. The ungodly are manipulated. They are driven. Look what it says. But they're like the wind. Driven by invisible forces. Like chaff which the wind blows away. The ungodly are empty husks. I think most of you know what a husk is. It is a kernel, if you will, that has been that's lost the seed. The thing that makes something powerful in a seed is its ability to produce life. And you dig a hole and you put the seed in the dirt and it forces its way to the surface. The ungodly are empty husks. They have no seed. They have no substance. They're driven by invisible winds. They are the exact opposite of the saint. And so the people in the world, this is what's so interesting to me. The people in the world, they'll tell you they're the ones with the substantive views. They're the ones with the weighty arguments. They're the ones who will ask you a question. Well, tell me again what you believe. I I believe that there's a God who created the heavens and the earth and they laugh at you. I believe that sinners need a savior and they laugh at you. They think that they have weight and substance. But do you know what will happen if you plant their ideas? It will always produce nothing because chaff can never produce anything because it's empty. It is empty of its seed. Chaff by very definition is that which has no weight, no substance, and is sterile. Paul In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, when he talks about who we are and how we're going to be evaluated, he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation, that's the foundation of the gospel, with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. There is a God in heaven who's going to evaluate everything of substance and most things won't survive the judgment. Is it possible that winds sometimes blow in a helpful direction? I suppose so. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, and I quote, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In that passage, Paul is basically saying that the saint is not characterized by immaturity, instability, gullibility. You are no longer a child. Unless, of course, you are a child. And if you're a child, that's, that's okay. It's okay to be a child. But if you're a grown-up, there is this expectation 
of maturity and stability and discernment. The saint should beware of fads and novelties and conspiracies and professional scoundrels who are Bible quacks because the most serious danger of all is deception. And Satan is like a roaring lion. He wanders to and fro, seeking whom he can devour. And you remember, this is the satanic plot. He begins his methodology by saying to our first parents, has God really said that? What has God said? So the ungodly man, the ungodly woman, they think they're the captain of their own ship. They are the determiner of their own fate. They think that they are in charge of their future, but it's not true. Your friends, your family, your loved ones, who are in a persistent and consistent state of rebellion against God. They're driven by invisible forces, blown in different directions, all of them away from God. In verse five, it says, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. When he says, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, what do you suppose the psalmist is talking about? What judgment is he making reference to? The sinner has no standing at the judgment seat of God. This is a poetic way of saying that the sinner won't have a leg to stand on. This is the person who has made his house on the sand. This is the person who has no place among the saints because their foundation is like quicksand. In the future, there's a great white throne judgment that's talked about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 14, where the Bible envisions that the books are opened and every person who's lived in rebellion, disobedience, and rejection of Jesus stand before the throne. And Jesus has made it abundantly clear that all judgment has been given to him. And the ungodly will be whisked away into eternity. And everything will change. Paul writes that every knee will bow and, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will come a moment where each and every individual is going to have the sinking realization that everything that the Bible said about what it means to be lost and the problem of sin and the need for a savior will be manifest. The sinner has no leg to stand on. His house is sand. In verse six, look what it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Do you remember? The song began on a high note, and now it ends on this solemn low note. And look what it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. The Lord knows the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. The Lord knows the difference, even if you don't. The Lord is not only aware of the righteous, but he also approves and cares for the righteous. How do we know that? Look what it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And by the way, that word knows in our text deserves at least a little investigation and reflection. It means more than to just simply be informed about the facts, like in Psalm 139. It includes this wider meaning to care about, to even be concerned about. So this word know carries with it the idea to care about something, be concerned about something, be willing to do something about that, we could include the ideas of identification and even ownership. In the New Testament, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus knows who belongs to him and who doesn't. And so the Lord approves of the righteous, but disapproves of the unrighteous. And I want you to think about that because the ungodly aren't simply those who do wicked things or who do sinful things. The ungodly are those who have stubbornly, repeatedly refused to bow the knee. These are the people who won't bow, who won't say, I believe in Jesus, I trust Jesus. These are the people, because they've rejected salvation in Christ, they want your approval. And they want God's approval. And this is why the ungodly perish. That word perish, by the way, can have a number of different nuanced meanings in context in the Bible. In this case, the psalmist seems to mean that the path of the sinner leads to emptiness. It leads to ruin. The word is used elsewhere to describe this ultimate loss, this loss of hope, this frustration over plans. In the New Testament, the thought is captured in Christianity by the world's most famous passage in all of the New Testament where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible teaches an ultimate parting of the ways between the Savior and the sinner. And so now we look at the text again and we look at the title, Saint 
or sinner? Do you walk in the counsel of the ungodly? Do you take the unbeliever's advice? Do you stand in the way of the sinners? Are you thinking their thoughts? Do you sit in the seat of the scoffers? Have you already made up your mind? Or do you delight in God's word? Do you read it? Reflect on it? And then purpose in your heart that this is what you want to do. When Jesus was asked the question, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? He said, believe in him whom God has sent. This is why the Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord. So the ultimate question, saint or sinner? And if the answer is sinner, then I would just ask you this question. Do you want forgiveness for your sin? Do you want your heart cleansed and washed? So if the answer is yes, then I would ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and that he can save you? And if the answer is yes, then what would keep you from receiving him, believing him? You see, if the answer to um, are you a sinner is yes, and do you want forgiveness of sin is, is yes, and you believe that Jesus is the Lord, and if the answer is yes, then why wouldn't you simply pray that very simple prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I know that something is wrong and that I need to be forgiven of my sin and that according to the Bible, Jesus is the Savior and that if I trust him and believe him, I can join the community of the righteous, those who are accepted by you. And so, Lord, again, we thank you for this song that David wrote and sung so long ago about his future son, the son of David, the son of God, who would come into the world and live the life we couldn't, die the cross, the, uh, the death we deserve, and then live forever in, in order for us to live forever. And so again, Lord, stir up our hearts cause us to delight, delight in the word of God, not just read it, not even simply know it, but a willingness to do it in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for having me. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. 
We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.